The content of this episode is a product of the NATO Command and Control Center of Excellence in cooperation with the Joint Air Power Competency Center. The views and ideas presented do not necessarily represent the opinions or policies of NATO. It is only reflective of the independent perspective of the NATO Command and Control Center of Excellence and the Joint Air Power Competency Center. The content presented is not classified and therefore is releasable via open source means. Within multi-domain operations, you're going to have a need for people, as I, as I mentioned previously, that are really operating within the multiple domains. But you're still going to have people that are using various domains as a utility. Welcome to the podcast, and can you uh, introduce yourself as a first question? Certainly. Uh, thank you. Um, I am Lieutenant Colonel Henry Heron. I'm currently stationed at the Joint Air Power Competence Center, which is located here in lovely Kalkar, Germany. Um, my background is primarily in space operations, but uh, really more on the operational breadth side of the house versus tactical depth. I, I've spent most of my career outside of what used to be termed Air Force Space Command is now, of course, transitioning to the U.S. Space Force, uh, really as a as a representative of space capabilities out within the combat air forces around the world, primarily in Europe and in the Pacific. I've got assignments working with uh, cyberspace operations in a, in a planning cell and also working with uh, electronic warfare strategy and policy at the Pentagon. And so it's, it's not so much that I'm an expert in multi-domain operations, but uh, but I do have experience in, in operations in more than one domain, which I guess provides me a, a unique perspective or at least a perspective that not a lot of other folks have. Thank you. You said yeah, more than one domain and not, not specifically the more traditional domains, uh, which is uh, where the discussion on MDO uh, usually starts and sometimes also ends. What is multi-domain? or multi-domain operations, in your view? <laughs> well, I, I think for me, the, the confusion came from how we were trying to, to go from joint, the term joint, uh, you know, more than one service to multi-domain. Um, I, I think that the, the point of it was that we're now looking at operating in domains that don't have service representation, right? So the that you go back a couple of years, we didn't have a space force. We didn't. We still don't have a cyber force, uh, although the Germans have a have a cyber service. Uh, there isn't a, a service for uh, the electromagnetic spectrum or for information operations. All of these things that I would categorize as information age capabilities, and so the term joint didn't fit because joint just deals with services, but yet you still had to recognize these new capabilities and integrate these capabilities. But for me, it was integrating them primarily as utilities, as, as, as ways to enable operations in the traditional domains, air, land, and sea. And so, so for me, multi-domain operations usually meant just trying to give some recognition to these, these newer domains that, that need that recognition, but not necessarily putting them on the same level as the traditional domains. All right, but do you think these domains should be considered as strictly military or do you see them in a wider uh, perspective uh, as, a, as a sort of whole-of-government approach? Well, I think certainly. I mean, even 
I mean, even the three traditional domains are not just military, right? There's there's definitely government control, whether it's you know, uh, air administrative agencies within the governments for for air travel or or road travel, uh, you know, speed limits and what you have on the roads, um, boater safety and boating regulations, um, and so the same would carry over for space. I think you know there is there's a domain there's increasingly commerce in space, and so. We're going to have a military capability to protect national interests that are associated with that. I think the same holds true on cyber. Um, there's been so much written about activity over the last, particularly the last 20 years of, of industrial espionage, to put it politely, across cyberspace. I mean, the amount of theft of intellectual property that's taken place is, is astounding. But there's been no military repercussions of that really uh, that we've seen at a significant level. Um, it's just it's it's a fact of something that happens, um, and rarely it really is challenged. And if it is challenged, it seems to be challenged more within the courts, within the legal avenues versus in the military avenue. I have the traditional military services on actually on 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 all sides on all possible actors uh, sides be, become t too efficient, and that everyone is too afraid to actually use them and that the, the attention uh, shifts to these more uh, civil domains or industrial. Uh, is, is that the way wars are fought these days? And do we need uh, to find an answer as a military or as uh, the military part of a nation? Well, I think, I think the, the cost of entry or of access is lower. I mean, when you look at being able to conduct a cyberspace operation, I mean, obviously you can spend a lot of money and put a lot of effort into something that's very exquisite and very detailed, but you don't have to go to that level. Um, you can you can enter into those types of operations on the cheap. And so if you have a, not even a government, if you have a non-government entity or even just a criminal entity, they, they can... They can operate in cyberspace maliciously um, and and inexpensively, and so that's I think something that's very uh, enticing. Um, when you start talking about outside the military, some of these things definitely uh, require a whole of government approach. When you start talking about information operations, um, particularly in democracies, right? How do you how do you control the flow of information? And as soon as you had that word control, that it makes a lot of people very nervous, right? Um, but somehow you have to combat disinformation and you want to do that effectively, um, but you also want to do that with, with democratic ideals in place. And, and that is something that requires a whole of government approach that can't be just something um, that's conducted within military chains. Uh, so having said that, and the, 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 the democratic control over all these actions, uh, Aren't NATO member states uh, already uh, b behind? Uh, and will they ever be able to catch up uh, against more totalitarian uh, regimes? This, the, I realize I'm, I'm completely deviating from no, the script No, 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 that's fine. It, you know, it's, it's a different challenge, though, isn't it? I mean, on, on one side, you have NATO with 30 nations having to reach a consensus to move forward. And, you know... There are challenges to that, to try and get 30 nations all moving forward in the same direction or uh, at least not prohibiting 
a certain course of action in a certain direction. And a totalitarian mm-hmm. state obviously doesn't have that concern. But at the same time, um, as you see information becoming more and more widespread and people have access to information, um, totalitarian states, they have to they have their own problems with maintaining control. I mean, when you start looking at, you know, I'll use China as an example and hope that that gets through the sensors here, but I mean, they, they have the great firewall, right? I mean, they are really controlling what kinds of things can be talked about. They're, they have to put in place controls within the people themselves to help get the people to police themselves. And, and they have to maintain that balance. So they have challenges as well. And, and I think I'd rather have our challenges of, of just trying to get people cooperating together versus trying to figure out how to control uh, millions or billions of people. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Let's not disagree on that one. How, how important is a, a completely agreed upon definition of both the word domain and the uh, idea of multi-domain? I, I think it is important because it allows people to have have conversations where they're actually communicating with one another and trying to reach a mutual understanding without these definitions. And I've seen this firsthand. I I know I'm not the only one that's seen this, but you can sit and watch two people have a conversation and as a kind of a, a bystander realize they're, they're talking completely past one another. They are talking about such different things, but they're using the same words. They're using the same terms. Um, but nothing productive is coming out of that conversation, right? And so having those definitions, I think, is incredibly important. And and it's a challenge first in the nations. I mean, uh, I wrote this paper about having a definition of domain to begin with uh, because that was a U.S. problem. I mean, even in the U.S., we didn't agree what a domain is or, or services had different ideas about what multi-domain meant. And that's in one country, right? And then you you got to bring together multiple services and government agencies and NGOs and academia and industry across 30 nations. If we're not all on the same page as far as what the words we're using mean, uh, it's hard to see us making progress. Mm-hmm. And then your point maybe being that any definition is better than continued talks about what the ideal definition would be. Uh, just establish something and uh, get going with that and maybe adapt it in the future. Uh, but how to overcome the, the not invented here uh, problem, uh, what, uh, with, which we sometimes see in NATO. Uh, if something is, isn't invented uh, locally, uh, it's not accepted. And I think all countries suffer from that. Yeah, I, 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 I can see that. I, 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 I think having a definition, even just a working definition initially, so that we can start to have that dialogue. But without without something to really kind of put a stake in the ground and say, this is where we're going to start from, then we just keep moving out and we get to the point where, you know, a number of years ago, NATO recognizes cyberspace as an operational domain. And that was the first time they did that, right? They didn't recognize land, sea, and air as operational domains. They recognized cyberspace. And then last year they did the same for space. But they did that without ever recognizing what the term domain meant, let alone operational domain. So what that means for for those of us in the military is ultimately this was a political decision, right? But it's a political decision that affects 
military operators and planners who don't have something to base on what they're supposed to go do then because it was it was a political decision that enforced this thing. But now we have to try and figure out what that means for us. And that's that's a challenge that really should be taken care of just by the fact that we should know what, what the words mean. Mm-hmm. And then the the traditional services uh, will need to somehow uh, incorporate that in their way of thinking and their way of operating. Uh, because I don't, I don't if, if we move into all kinds of new domains, I don't see a similar amount of services uh, uh, evolving. That obviously would be an option to, to create a lot of services. I don't know that, that, I think that creates another whole host of problems. I think the benefit is that, you know, you and I particularly both work at organizations that are, are chartered to you know, figure out the best way to transform certain elements uh, of NATO power. For me, it's for air and space here at the JAPCC. So yeah, as we as we get these terms, then you know that really falls back on on organizations like ours to put thought into the best way to move forward from there. So so we're equipped to do it. We just have to make sure we provide the right level of fidelity when we ask these organizations to go do that work. And then, uh, so cyber and space have recently been added uh, as, as domains, as operational domains, as you said it. Uh, NATO uh, uh, has recognized those as well. Um, so in one way, we came from uh, three domains. Uh, we went to five. Sometimes logistics and special operations forces are recognized as supporting domains. Um where does it stop and shouldn't we start moving in the other direction and have more integrated services? Do, do, do you see where I'm trying to, where, where my thoughts are going? Yeah, I think I, I'm, I, I've tried to be very careful in, the, in the, the couple papers that I've written on this to not say what the answer is, right? I mean, at, at the end of the day, you need people with certain expertise with the access and ability to procure resourcing and funding and and be able to focus the strategies and policies and doctrine in a way that accounts for everything. I don't think you have to go down the road of, of a bunch of different military services, one for every domain to do all that. I think if we're going to be able to be interoperable with one another, we're going to have to have people who have a better understanding of capabilities outside their primary focus, right? So if so for the for the Air Force, um, you're going to need pilots that have a better understanding of fighting in the electromagnetic spectrum or fighting in space so that the transition between supported and supporting commands and, and domains is, is fluid, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's a challenge. Um, how we, there's more than one way to get there, right? And so that's, I, I, I'm hesitant to say, well, this is what we need to do to fix it because I'm, I'm probably not smart enough to figure that out in the first guess, right? But I, I think we need to keep talking about it and, and get a group together and, and hopefully over time we can figure it out collectively. Uh, so uh, another challenge would also be, uh, usually when we get our young servicemen, basically talking young officers here, but NCOs as well, we, first we start training them technically, then tactically, uh, and um, that is very much service-oriented. But uh, after that, uh, we had to educate them, ed- educate them joint. Um, 
And now it becomes even wider than that. Is that the challenge? And do we need to get in uh, different people at the, directly at that level without the technical and tactical background? I, I think... I think it is a challenge, and I think that that is something we have to look at doing, and and that it becomes it becomes very difficult. How do you build that tactical depth in someone, but also give them the operational and strategic breadth, and even some tactical breadth? We do that. We do it in some areas, though. I mean, we have air-based electronic warfare platforms, so we do train some pilots to go out and truly operate in the air, and in at least a portion of the electromagnetic spectrum at the same time. We also have aircraft that go out and fly air-to-ground sorties. So they are operating in the air, but they're also being able to keep situational awareness of things that are going on on the surface um, to support operations down there as well. And that's over land and over sea. So we do have pockets where we do this already. Um, and then collectively, all of our operators are using other utilities to enable their own operations, whether it's communications or through space-based ISR. Um, we're, we're doing that naturally. I think it's recognizing for me that there's a difference between really operating in multiple domains and operating in one domain and using the other's capabilities in other domains as, a, as an enablement, as a utility. And I think that's where we have to be able to separate out that just because I have a jet that's got all kinds of sensors on it and it can pick up things uh, on the surface or through the air, maybe overhead or through electronic means, that doesn't mean that that aircraft is operating in all those domains, right? It's just, it's a sensor pulling in information, but it may just be passing that on to somebody else who's who then is conducting an operation there. And the challenge being to to switch at the right time to the right capability and get the information or effect uh, yeah. At, at the right time, at the right point, at the right decision maker, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's no longer linear, uh, but it's more a network, uh, network of information and effects that we're talking about. Certainly. I, I know I was... And, and not just military, but also in the, uh, in the, in the, the civilian uh, environment surrounding it. That's certainly true for information. I mean, when you, when you start getting into... Um, Information is definitely not exclusively military. I mean, I look at that as as one of the, you know, the instruments of national power, right? The dime construct that I know we use in the U.S. And so, while the military will play a role in in a whole of government information approach, it's not the lead, right? And it's it's just a contributor. But then, who who leads that enterprise within governments? And again, within democracies, that that can get very problematic, right? Because people get nervous when you start having government agencies that are inherently trying to control information. Um, but the military needs to be able to support that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going back into uh, my memory here. I was uh, in staff college in uh, Paris uh, a few years ago. And uh, we somehow at some point ended up in a discussion about uh, strategic decision-making uh, and, and at some point, the argument was made that in, in Western democracies, uh, there is hardly any military strategic decision making. It's all civilian political um, and we won't see any uh, strategic military decision making until there's a real uh, conflict uh, and not before that. 
uh, with all the international institutions that we're, we're engaged in, NATO being one, European Union on this side of the Atlantic, obviously the other. Uh, there's so much, uh, such a search for consensus that we hardly see beyond the immediate. I, th- I think as far as overt, like pre-planned decisions, that I would agree with that. But at the same time, you know, we've got too many stories out there of the the strategic corporal, right? Someone that at a much lower echelon takes some action or com- commits some act that ends up having significant strategic implications usually that they never meant to have, but that's, you know, that still happen and, and then they have to be dealt with. So, uh, you know, there's the reactionary side to it as well. And so in the military, we, we can have a strategic impact. Uh, I think for most of us, we'd rather our careers never get to that point. We'd rather just let, let the politicians tell us what we need to do. But Okay, so we've talked about a lot of aspects of multi-domain. Uh, we've established that the first step would be the... Uh, uh, to arrive at a commonly accepted, at least working definition. Uh, and what's next? What's after that? I, I think for me, the, the thing that we have to look at is understanding that within multi-domain operations, you're going to have a need for people, as I, as I mentioned previously, that are really operating within the multiple domains. But you're still going to have people that are using various domains as a utility. That that doesn't go away, right? Everyone is still going to be using the electromagnetic spectrum, right? That's regardless, they're going to use that. And and they're going to use it as a utility, but they're not fighting to control frequencies, right? They're just trying to get access to something. And and as we move forward now with these definitions and we look to develop policies and strategies on how to use this, they have to be able to accommodate both groups. The people who really are operating militarily in multiple domains simultaneously in a, uh, in trying to create synergies and the people who are using capabilities in different domains to enable their operations. And the concern I guess I would have for NATO going forward, at least right now, is that these newer domains, space and cyberspace in particular, aren't really represented in the NATO command structure the numbers of the bodies that are really operating in those domains are small right now. And so we, we have to ensure that that operational piece has a voice in, as the policies and strategies are developed and that that isn't drowned out by the people who are using these capabilities simply to enable operations, right, as a utility construct. Because there's a lot of those folks in the NATO command structure. And they're going to be almost overrepresented in the discussions. We have to balance that appropriately. And then and then we have to balance the exercises too. Uh, when you go up to Stavanger, uh, it really can't be just about uh, the forward battle line or maritime control or even uh, air superiority. We have to understand that that there's capabilities for space and capabilities in cyberspace, and they have to be put on par. And and we have to be able to exercise reduced capability in those areas to get to a level of realism. And we can't we can't hamper ourselves by saying, well, if we turn that stuff, if we turn the pain up too much in those areas, it doesn't allow us to get the things done in the traditional domains. Um, 
yeah, that's the whole point. We need to feel that pain so we can learn those lessons. So we don't have to learn those lessons when, you know, when it's too late. <laughs> right. So we have to really bring that parity for these domains within those exercises. And that's, that's a real challenge, right? Because again, the bodies, the bodies are land guys, air guys, and, and sea guys. They're not space and cyberspace guys or EW guys, right? Those bodies are much smaller groups and they get overridden very quickly. And that's, that's a concern. It's a concern. We cannot afford to not do it. But at the same time, uh, if I may end that way, we've seen similar challenges in the past. And eventually we will get there. Agreed. Would you agree to that? Yes. Yes.